you feel that way is because you can. Um, <laughs> that's the secret to the whole thing right there, but I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. And I appreciate uh, people working with things and your willingness sometimes. You plan things, and I'll just teach you something here. I'll help you with everything that has to do with church. You plan, and this is a, this is a well-planned church. We organize, we have structure with it, but you cannot foresee, nor are you supposed to, everything that happens. You come hunting God, and something happens. You never want to get rigid and formal to where if the slicing goes wrong with the program, as it were, then uh, everything, all the wheels come off of it. Now, that proves you're having a program and not just coming hunting the Lord. I don't like things slapped together. I don't like what I call bean and weenie church. You come in, anybody got a song? Anybody got something to say? No, that's nonsense. Uh, the Lord deserves better than that. Uh, and uh, uh, so we, we plan, but when you come in, you just come in and let the Lord get a hold of you. Learn to enjoy your church. Let God deal with you. And church is not just a place where you come to learn doctrine, which you're supposed to. It's not just a place you come to learn Bible, which you're supposed to. But it's a place God designed it. In, in his kindness, a place where you can be refreshed and you can, you can, something pick you back up and something just kind of give you a little bit of, a little bit of that you need to go on and know you're loved by the Lord and, and, and enjoy it. And, and uh, I like it, man. Church has been my refuge ever since I was a teenager and first come to know the Lord. Didn't care a bit about it before that, but uh, uh, it has been good ever since. Let me encourage you on something here and we'll get into the message tonight. Still publishing out on Monday and Thursday mornings. Uh, with the podcast right now, I appreciate those who are listening. We had somebody at least ping us in one more country. We've now had Ethiopia also, because I don't even speak Ethiopian. Um, but they, uh, <laughs> it's 18 or 19 of them now, I've checked in at one time or another. But it's, uh, uh, I encourage you going out, still dealing with side notes, thoughts from a pastor's study, and that's a wide variety of things being covered there. I'll give you an example of that. The last five that have published out. Have been, have been these. The last one was entitled, Get on Board. And it's from Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. And it's a really neat truth in there. Uh, people are familiar with Esther saying, saying, if I perish, I perish. But there's a big bunch of that verse that comes before she said that. And it teaches you an amazing thing doctrinally with it. That publication is, uh, came out as uh, 6 minutes and 46 seconds. So these are the shorter things we do. And then the one before that was called The Heart of a Shepherd. That's had quite a few listens to it. And from Isaiah 40, verse 11. And it's amazing how that verse outlines the Lord and His heart for us. And 7 minutes and 51 seconds on that one. And then uh, the one previous to that was Help Requested, Change Required. Help requested, change required. Six minutes and 46 seconds out of Psalm 119, verses 29 and 30. And then maintenance and progress. Maintenance and progress out of 2 Corinthians 8, verse 10. That one's six minutes and 42 seconds. See, these side notes are just what I say they are. I'm going through my Bible. I have written just amazing amount of material in my Bible. And the side notes have a wide margin Bible. I write and put out outlines, observations, things I've learned, things... Go to this verse, go to that verse from this verse. And what I'm doing, I'm just going through looking at my side notes, and then I choose one, I choose them out ahead of time. See if I need to do any previous study, prepare for publication, put them out and such, and and make those ready. Um, Then the fifth one, and I said I was going back five, it was entitled Working Yet Slothful. Working Yet Slothful. And uh, that one's out of Proverbs 18, verse 9. And (laughs) oddly enough, Three minutes and 46 seconds. I got a chuckle out of that. Working yet slothful, I spent the least time on. So I don't know exactly what that means, but uh, I don't think I want to think about it too much either. But uh, if you would get your Bibles, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 19 tonight. Dealing with David's wilderness years. This is the third message in this series. And uh, dealt with preparing for preparation. Seeds are sown. Those were the first two messages. And then tonight, dealing with the subject of patterns emerge. Patterns emerge. Well, I wish I could encourage you tonight. I wish I had time to talk to you about how important it is to learn to see patterns in things and what difference that can make in your life. But uh, patterns emerge is tonight. And we're going to be uh, just going through part of this chapter tonight and, uh, and looking at this since we have the ongoing series of David's uh, uh, wilderness and his wilderness began actually in the palace there with King Saul and we're getting into some of that of course 
on Sunday night, we found out about that Saul had eyed David, the Bible says, from that day forward. He became jealous of him. That's one of the seeds that was sown, the seeds of jealousy and hatred. You remember that? How, how David came back from the battle? He had, he had killed Goliath. And the ladies were singing. You remember that first verse? Man, they liked that first. Or Saul liked that first verse, didn't he? Saul is slain his thousands. Brother Keith, they, he said, "Play that again." I want to hear that again. That second verse, he didn't like it all. That second verse said, "But David is tens of thousands." And Saul became so angry, and he said, "What more can he have but the kingdom?" And then it says that verse, and Saul eyed David from that day forward. He just, he 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 had it in his heart to destroy him from that point on. David had only been good to Saul, and by the way, would only be good to Saul throughout their whole interchange of things between them. And then Saul's son. How many of you remember what his name is? Saul's son that was mentioned. What's his name? Talk to him. Jonathan. And there was something interesting. God uses an interesting phrase to tell us that Jonathan, there was a love given from God between Jonathan and David just immediately was like a fast friendship. And perhaps some of you have known what that's like in life. You have someone they just they were a friend. You just you you immediately hit it off with them and there's just a bond there. It's kind of hard to explain. But the Bible described it with a particular word. It said something about their souls. What what was it? Do you remember? They were knit. Their souls were knit together. And that's very, very important for understanding um, that uh, Jonathan Saul's son, the prince, if you will, the heir apparent to the throne, is actually has this kind of a close uh, friendship and, and this this uh, uh, friendly friendly affection with him and David as he did. A uh, good number of years ago, when thinking upon a friendship and uh, trying to express that, I wrote a poem based out of that verse and. I'll share that with you and it'll kind of set the tone for getting us into tonight's message dealing with patterns emerge. Uh, souls which are knit need not worry about unraveling under the petty pressures of life or the relentless tug of the transitory. They are not crudely sewn with the dull needle of expectation and the deceitful thread of emotion. They are not separate pieces bound unnaturally together as long as the binding thread will hold. Rather, they are knit, woven together, fabric of life meshed with fabric of life. By the hand of the Master who decrees the design, and of one, the two souls, distinct yet not separate. Even as He is one within Himself, yet three He is, to express, to redeem, and to guide. So souls once knit by grace and circumstance divine can never be apart no matter what distance divides. And I thought on these things with the, the human relationship. And this is the kind of closeness that is meant by Jonathan's soul being knit with that of David. And uh, you're going to see that's going to be vitally important through all these wilderness years. And let me say to you, uh, we ought to treasure friendships. And I know most people would treasure to have that type of friendship towards them, but let's hold as high value. Let's be that kind of friend towards others. And let's try to be worthy of the name friend. Let me show you some of the things with this. Let's look in chapter 19. and Let me turn back over here to that. And, and let's look. I'll read the first 17 verses. Would you follow along as I read this? And let's understand the, the account as it's going. It says, And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. Apparently Jonathan thought this was a passing thing that his dad would get over. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee were very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine, 
And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things, and Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house, look at it again, church, with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. So he's playing the instrument there in front of Saul. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall. Actually threw it. And David fled and escaped, the, escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him to slay him in the morning. We're going to get him as he comes out. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. So Michal let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. And Mitchell took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. And Saul sent the messengers again to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may slay him. And when the messengers were come in, behold... There was an image in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair for his bolster. And Saul said unto Mitchell, Why hast thou deceived me so and sent away mine enemy that he has escaped? And Mitchell answered Saul, He said unto me, Let me go. Why should I kill thee? Quite a, quite a turn of events, isn't it? Patterns have begun to emerge. And this is why I tell you that David's wilderness began before he was out in the wilderness of En and these other places he would go. Uh, it started well before that. And uh, it started right there with the pattern starting in these different people's lives. And uh, let me pray with you. And let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to open our mind and heart to this. I want to give you a few truths out of the Scripture tonight. Father, help me to do so clearly. Thank you for the good spirit of the evening. Help us, Lord to be receptive to your word, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. I put them down this way. First is uh, pattern one. And these patterns are emerging. They're showing up here. Already, just from what we've learned in the last three services, two services prior to this one, and what we've read together, you've probably noticed, you've keyed in on some things. Well, that's showing up again. There are patterns that are showing up. And uh, from those patterns, these patterns will get stronger and will continue not only throughout David's wilderness years, but some of them will continue throughout his entire kingdom as we go with it. First pattern I put down is in verse 1. I want you to see this. Um, look in verse 1 of chapter 19. And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Now, it's interesting Saul wanted to destroy David, but at first he didn't move his hand against him because David was incredibly, incredibly popular among the people. And Saul knew it wasn't a smart move just to take David out of action. And he may have been king, but he understood you know, there's some things involved here. And so what he had done, he had put David over, be a captive over a thousand, sent him out into the field hoping in that leadership position because back then, and, and I'm not making fun of the way the military does things now. Logistics and warfare have changed so much it wouldn't make sense to do it the way they did back then. But, um, but they weren't back at the headquarters running the, running the operations from behind the lines. It, you mechanize warfare and modern warfare. You put your leader right on the front. Front now, he's gone. I mean, there's a reason why I do things the way I do things now. But then, if you were a leader of a thousand, you were taking that thousand into battle. You were at the forefront of it. 
In other words, it was a it was a highly dangerous position, high mortality rate in it, and so uh, he had hoped that he'd get killed. Send him out to it. It also did something else. There's an old saying: uh, keep your keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Um, it's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Lincoln did this with McClellan in the Civil War. He knew he was a threat to his presidency. So <laughs> part of the reason he wouldn't get rid of him as general because he couldn't afford to have him back in Washington. And there's just some political wisdom about that move. And so what he does, he puts, he puts David over a thousand, puts him out there. But what happens? David does extremely well. And the people are even more impressed with him. And then you get over to chapter 19, verse 1. And look how brazen this is. Because he even makes a statement to Jonathan. Look what he says in verse 1. He spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. This isn't subterfuge. This isn't, hey, go out and make it look like an accident. He looks at him and says, kill him. The king gives a kill order against one of his most fruitful servants. I put down on this, the pattern starts to emerge. I put this one down. The mask slips. The mask slips. Saul involuntarily reveals the intent of his heart. There's a statement I want you to get. Unguarded moments sometimes reveal unvarnished reality. I remember trying to forewarn and give a little bit of guidance to a young person many years ago. They they thought another young person liked them and thought potentially, you know, they... I think it developed some. And I, I told the young man, I said, I'm going to get away from that as fast as you can. They'd give me permission to speak to the relationships. They said, why? They really like me. I said, no, they don't. And they were a bit upset at me, thinking me to be judgmental. Hard-nosed, perhaps. I just didn't like anybody. You know that kind of stuff? You know what I was basing it off of? And by the way, just for the record, it was correct. That I watched a smiling face towards this young person when they were looking at this other young person. And as soon as they turned, I watched what the eyes and the face did. The cutting, leering look and the sideways look at other people by them. Like, and they turned back around, their face would change again. There's a lot of times I'm just off at the side. Sometimes I'm wandering around here and just look like I'm oblivious, hoping you all go home so I can get food sometime. <laughs> but I might be picking up on a little more of what you know. Why? Because unguarded moments sometimes reveal unvarnished truth. Now, there are unguarded moments that don't. But the mask slipped, didn't it? Here Saul is. David, you know, and he's, he's putting on the act with things, but then it just slips, killing. You say, where'd that come from? It was always there. It was always there. And so that's, that's quite an interesting thing, that there could be two distinct things going on. Beware of people who can be two distinctly different people. Um... It's always been a tragic thing whenever parents could accurately say to me, Pastor, I don't understand. Uh, a young person's at church, then they'll do anything you ask, and they're fine, respectful around you. Man, they totally change when they get home. If you're, if you, if you're more respectful to your pastor than you are your parents, shame on you. And I don't care if, if you have parents that don't act honorably. Shame on you if you can't act honorable. Say, well, they're not deserving of honor. God's the one who told us to honor. And maybe He knew what honoring would do to and through and for us and what dishonoring would do. Did it ever occur to you, listen to me a moment, did it ever occur to you that your loving Heavenly Father knew that you being dishonoring would destroy you? Am 
My mom went home to be with the Lord three years ago today. Hard to believe. She'd been up in glory for three years. And uh, <laughs> it, uh, one, of the, one of the best things that my mom ever did for me was did not run down my dad. My dad left a lot of opportunities to be spoken ill of. She didn't pretend like he was some great man. She didn't put on airs and paint a picture that wasn't there. She just didn't allow the hurt she'd been through to become poison for her child. I am so grateful for that, I can't even tell you. Because the sins and failures and wickedness of my father could not destroy my life. But me having a bad or evil or hating spirit towards him can. Did it ever occur to you that your heavenly father knows that you dishonoring can destroy you? So, well, they're not worthy of honor. Then you'd be worthy of being honorable. And behave yourself that way. I'm not talking about making up something that isn't. I'm going to take anybody saying, so let me tell you what a uh, great, great man, great things. No, that wasn't there. But here's the thing about it. Can't we, can't we conduct ourselves honorably and choose a different way? I say by the grace of God, we can. But boy, this pattern showed up. Pattern two. I want you to see Jonathan's sterling character. Um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Look in verse two. It's warm up here. Is it warm out there? It, it, a little bit. Some of you who don't normally shake your head are shaking your head. Somebody said, I just finally got warm. Uh, 60, 66. If we would. I'm going to do that. And uh, I don't know if it'll make a difference right now, but we'll try. Um, look in verse two. It's always warm up here, so I don't gauge it, but I'm looking out there, and some of you look like you're wilting. Um, verse 2, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Do you realize what a big step that was? He told John, uh, David, he said, My dad wants to kill you right now. And I really think, by the way things happened in Jonathan's life, that he thought his dad, he's really upset and he's going to get over it. Because you're going to see the next step, which when I get into it, the next step of things is, next time around, Saul leaves Jonathan in the dark about it. And Jonathan doesn't believe that his dad's doing it again. And part of the reason is because his dad gave his word, which he lied about. We'll see that pattern emerging too. But here, I want you to see this. He goes, so what he does, he says to David, he says, that's going to kill you. And not like we use slaying. That won't kill you. I mean, he literally is going to kill it. He said, run, get, you, don't let him get you right now. But then look down in verse 4. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father. And he implores his father, don't do this. Don't, don't treat him that way. And, and you can see he's actually concerned for his father. Don't make this bad decision. It isn't just to protect David. He says, he said, don't do this. Here's what I put down with this pattern. And it, this stays with, with Jonathan all the way through this, this pattern. One, I put down, he's protective of David. He's very protective of David. He's protective of his friend. And at the same time, he seeks to be an intercessor with his father. Jonathan, I'm telling you, is an amazing character in the Bible because he never goes against and tries to destroy his father and he never goes against and tries to destroy David. And in the midst of this huge conflict, one of the strong conflicts in history... Jonathan simply does not take sides. And as far as I can see, as I'm studying through everything again, all I can see him doing is taking the side of right behavior in some very taxing situations. He's an incredible fellow in the Bible. And so we have that one. Then, pattern number three, look at verse five. Look at this one. I'll show you this. It says in verse five, for he did put his life in hand and slew the Philistine. He's talking to Saul here. Jonathan is. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and did rejoice there. Wherefore then wilt thou, look at the term, sin against innocent blood to slay David. 
without a cause. I put this down. Uh, it's, uh, it's a messianic illusion. You say, what does that mean? Messianic means something pointing towards the Messiah. It's not a direct prophecy. But it's an illusion. It's something that points you that direction. It's something that shows up as kind of a picture of what's coming. It's not the same thing as a prophecy that specifically says or specifically points by an action, here's what's going to happen. But it just it's something that runs parallel with the life of Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to see about the patterns. Now watch this. What I'm trying to do with this, and go in the series the way I'm going about it, what I'm trying to do with you and for you is show you and help you learn how to get into your Bible and let the Bible speak to you. If you will come to church and listen with active interest, not saying in your mind or in your action, well, preacher, keep my attention, that's, 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 that's not healthy. If you will come with active interest, seeking what God has for you, trying to learn something, you will catch as I give things to you, not only what I'm giving to you from the Scripture, but if you're perceptive, you will catch teaching on how to get much from your Bible. Look for that. And these Messianic illusions are part of it. it it's, you're going to find throughout the life of David, it's a pattern which keeps emerging. David's life has these places that intersect with things that will happen in the life of Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, has said he is going to reign on the throne of David. All the references go back to that. What is this messianic illusion? Well, it's a little phrase there. Some of you caught that, no doubt, when we went through. Look in verse 5, right at the end of the verse. Jonathan asked a question. It says, Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood? That's a term which is not used very often at all in the Bible. Just very few times in the Bible. Let me show you one other time it's used. Look over. Uh, I, think we're, I think we're in Matthew with that. Uh, da, 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 da. Am, I, am I right? Am I right? Uh, I have it written down. I didn't have it written down. Uh, I think it's Matthew. The end of Matthew. Look and, and write down my reference on it. Matthew. Judas is coming and throws down the money. It'll be Matthew or, or Luke, probably. Yeah, it's right there. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 3. Now what's going on right here is Judas Iscariot, after having been paid silver to betray Jesus Christ, he comes back to the priest and just throws that money down. And tries to exonerate himself at that point. But look at verse 3 and look at how this is phrased. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, had betrayed Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed, what did he say? The innocent blood. And it's amazing, this messianic illusion. You go back here and Jonathan says to his father there, uh, he makes a statement to him, he says, wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood? He's saying, why are you going to betray someone who's been good to you? And which is the question he's asking Saul. And you're going to see this pattern show up over and over again in there. Then let me give you another one. I said there's a pattern of the mask slipping Showing uh, in an unguarded moment the unvarnished reality. I said jo Jonathan Sterling character shows up, the messianic illusion. Then how about this? Uh, about a pattern of false promises and hollow vows. Look at verse 6. Now this one's going to show up time and again, right up until the time of his death. Look in uh, verse 6. And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swear. He takes an oath. Saul swear as the Lord liveth. That's a very strong oath to take. As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. <laughs> David goes back to the palace 
He's in his presence as at other times. Just a little while later, Saul's very upset again, has the javelin in his hand, actually throws the javelin, sticks it to the wall, had intended for David to be between it and the wall when it stuck there. And then goes so far as to have him say, go bring him and his bed down, I'll kill him myself. After he made a vow, a solemn promise to his son, Jonathan, David will not be killed. Pattern that will emerge is false promises and hollow vows. The common thing about liars is they lie. And they make vows they never keep. And you cannot trust them. And God hates that kind of behavior. I'm using a biblical term. Hates that kind of behavior. I can show you that He hates lying lips. I can show you that He hates deceit and guile. God hates it. He's God of truth. And... Uh, <laughs> pattern surfaces time and again with Saul. At the cave in Gedi, I mentioned that, which is the place of the wild goats, a very rugged, rocky place. Saul and some of his men they went into a cave to rest. You know, they'd be a little cooler in there. They laid down, not knowing that David and his men, many of his men are in the sides of that cave. They, they were hiding. They saw Saul and his men coming, so they're hiding. And Saul comes right in and lays down and takes a nap. One of the men beside David said, kill him. Kill him. That's him right there. Get him before he gets you. And, and of course, you know, he's one of these, he's one of these uh, fellows that you know, interprets everything by what their circumstance is. He's like, uh, God delivered him into your hand. I mean, it's got to be the will of God. He laid down right there and you got a knife. David, fortunately for Saul, and fortunately for David, David was more of a Bible believer than that. He actually quoted Scripture to him. Touch not God's anointed and do His prophet no harm. The guy said, what? You can't. It's obviously the will of God. You got the knife. He's laying there asleep. One more. That's a sign now, brother. That's a neon sign in a dark night. David's like, that's against truth. He said, I won't do it. And then you want to know something about David. You remember how we've learned that David's real good about taking care of details? That old boy's got a sharp knife. He takes care of his knife. Because he goes down and he takes the lower part of Saul's robe while he's sleeping and cuts it off and he never even knows he's doing it. When you hack off a piece of fabric, I mean, that's some seriously sharp knife. And the Bible says, this is amazing, that David's heart smote him. He was convicted that he'd done that. He's like, what am I doing cutting off part of the robe of my king? And the king's trying to kill him for no reason. Saul wakes up, I guess, and leaves the cave. David waits until they're down. Then he hollers, Saul! You looking for me? Let's go back to where that happened. Look in 1 Samuel 24. Remember this thing about broken vows? Hollow promises, 1 Samuel 24. Flip over to it. Flip over to it. We'll get to it later when we're preaching. And we'll deal with it more, but I just want to show you something. It has to do with this. Look in verse 16. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul. So you have the picture of how, what was happening. That Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Well, you know the brother's getting right. He's crying. Next thing you know, he'll have goosebumps and he'll know it's truth. Verse 17, And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. 
And thou hast showed this day how thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. And then he goes on and talks about that. And then he went home. David, you're a better man than I am. I see there are my ways, David. I get, I'm so sorry, David. You must see the wisdom David has. David doesn't come bouncing down those rocks like a rock sheep. Say, Saul. <laughs> uh-uh. He stays up there and waits until he knows Saul's gone. He's seen this nonsense before. Well, that's not the only time. Then in the wilderness of Ziph, Saul lays down to sleep, surrounded by his army. This one blows my mind. Abner's there and such. And David, he's got a, he's got a, a fellow with him, and David's like, we're going to sneak down in there. Now, David got help on this. I think David just got real brave and the Lord kind of intervened to help him out because the Bible says the Lord sent a deep sleep on him. I think God said, they're really going to do this. I'm going to knock these boys out. He comes down through all these sleeping soldiers. And there was kind of a hollow place. talks about like a depression area. And, and Saul was in that. And David comes along and there's a cruise of water, this thing of water, and there's a spear. That'd be a good thing to get away from Saul with his past history. And he grabs these things. David does. Again, the fellow with him tries to get him to kill him while he's there. Tells him the same thing again. David goes outside of the men, hollers and wakes everybody up. Tells Abner, he says, you're worthy of death. He said, for someone came into your, your king and you had him unguarded and he's chewing out the head of the guard. What kind of guard are you? I made all the way in. I, he said, look. He said, tell me whose these are. He did. It's really amazing. This is something more of the stuff we're going to be getting into as we go forward. Look at this one in, in 1 Samuel 26. Jumping ahead here a little. A little foreshadowing. 1 Samuel 26. Look in verse 21. They've had revival and Saul's getting right again. Look in verse 21. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Hold the door for a second here. Remember what we read about before at that cave? Between then and now, Saul's been chasing David around using an army trying to kill him. Remember what he promised Jonathan and then turned right around and went after him? Hmm. Okay. The only thing more, well, it's not more wicked, but equally foolish when somebody acts like that is somebody who keeps riding that merry-go-round with them. Well, I thought they had changed based on what actual behavior modification. What are they actually doing different than they had done before? Nothing. Okay. Then why don't you just keep serving the Lord and doing what you're supposed to do and don't get your hopes up until you see actions? Well, I know they... Cheated everybody they ever did business with, but they always treated me good. I thought they'd treat me different. Hmm. So, so you're saying the fisherman was smiling as he hooked you and reeled you in, right? <laughs> then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And so David came running over and hugged him, right? No. Look what David does. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting in within your reach. And I'm not going to be standing where you can throw this thing back at me once it gets in your hand. Where did all this start? Tell you where it started. Something churches are full of at times. It's called insincere repentance. 
1 Samuel chapter 15. Repentance has become just a word. 1 Samuel 15. Where did all this pattern start with Saul? Well, it started when he despised the Word of God and wouldn't obey the commandment of God. But look at his response when he was confronted about his sin when the prophet, the last of the judges of Israel, after three over 325 years of judges, the last judge was Samuel. And look what, when Samuel, as the judge of Israel and as a prophet of God, confronted this king, look at the response that the king had to him. Look, we begin, pick it up in verse 24 and we'll go from there. Look in verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Well, that's a familiar theme with him, isn't it? For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. So did the verse stop there? What's the next word? What's the next word? Because. Look at me. When that word is attached to so-called repentance, it's not repentance. Anytime your so-called repentance chucks the word because in the middle of the sentence, you're not serious. I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it because... Hush. Because you're not taking responsibility. Don't think your preacher's strong with you. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you just read that recently like I did in Romans? Made me stop where I was reading and say, my goodness, we shall all. I ain't got to worry about trying to Run herd on you folks. I got enough to say grace over at my own table. All I'm supposed to do is tell you the truth and love you good and try to treat you like the Lord would treat you. That's what I'm supposed to do. But I got I got all I care to say grace over. You all can take care of yours. But I'm gonna warn you faithfully. When you put because I wouldn't have done wrong, but you're not serious. Yes, I am. I am. You don't know my emotions. You can't judge me like that. You're not serious. Prove me wrong and change. Look what he says. Look exactly what... Hey, look! I've been a preacher for 41 years. I've watched some people get right with God over and over for decades and they still live like the stinking devil. Time to get real. Time to get serious. You're going to get serious one of these days. You might want to do it from a, a, a pastor and a preacher of the Word telling you rather than looking into eyes that I was just reading about that are like flames of fire that can see through your soul and my soul. We better get real because He's real. Verse 24, but because I've sinned because I feared the people. Oh, so guess whose fault it actually was? The people. He's not getting right. Look, he goes from saying, I won't kill this guy to trying to stick him to a wall in a matter of a few days. Do you think something's actually changed inside of this man? And obeyed their voice. This is the king. I sinned because I was afraid of the people. And I, I just did what they said to do. He's the king. How what do you think that stands up before God? You're the what? I'm the king. And I, I just did what the people wanted. That would not be what the king's supposed to do. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Remember when he met Samuel, when Samuel came? He was, praise the Lord, I've done the will of the Lord, so glad to see you. He was so full of religious talk. I have for a long time in my life been suspicious of people who talk too religious. 
Forgive me, I sound like a heathen up here. I just don't trust them. I'm not talking about someone who naturally praises the Lord. and It's natural for them. I've met people before. It's, their, their talk's almost purely biblical. It's because where they live. But it's not put on. I'm talking about this. Oh, praise the Lord. Isn't that... Oh, and, and there's an, it, it's almost like the God thing. You can just say it. Father, I'm just so glad to see you. And I, I tell you what, God's just so precious to me. And, and there's just a forced thing that say, preacher, you're being judgmental. I ain't being judgmental. I'm just holding on to my wallet. I look, I don't trust it. When somebody's actually walking with the Lord, it's part of them. It's the difference between somebody's actually praising the Lord, their hands up, they're enjoying the Lord, they're rejoicing, and somebody's doing this stuff looking around saying, Who's watching them? They may be doing the same action, but it's way different. It's the difference between somebody singing a good gospel song and God's on them while they're doing it. They may close their eyes. They may move back. They may rear back and sing from their soul. Unit, and then the person who's performing when they're doing it. There's a huge difference. May God help us. You ready for this? Can we handle one other rough one? Are we ready for this? You ready for this, Wes? I'm serious. We got a problem, bud. You know what it is? Me and you are made of the same stuff he was. Me and you. We have that kind of potential running around in us. Remember that that took over when he despised the word of the Lord. Don't ever get get out away from God, you get all messed up. And so he said that and he went on down there. In verse 26, And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. He tore his prophet's garment. Saul did. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day. By the way, I'd like to have killed Samuel to have to say that to him. He loved Saul. And hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. You're just worried about your reputation and hanging on to your position. You're not at all serious about getting right. Pattern four, false promises and hollow vows. Pattern surface time again with Saul. Then pattern five, look back in our text real quick there. Looking back in First uh, Samuel 19. For some not familiar with church talk, when I say back in our text, that means the part of the Scripture we started at where we began to read. That's referred to as our text, the area from which we started. And uh, I know for some of you that seems very obvious, but I realize having not been brought up around church that a lot of church terminology is not obvious to many people. Um, but look at pattern 5 and, and look at verse 7. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And then, of course, we know there was war. And then again, Saul tries to stick David to the wall, throwing that spear, that javelin at him. I put these two things down with it. There's a strained normalcy. I'll put that in quotations. Everything's back to normal. No, it's not. Man, it's strange. Because nothing's changed with Saul. He's still evil. And David goes back, but you know, there it is. And then it's followed by a fierce fleshly flare-up. Saul, another warfare comes, and as soon as David does something wisely again, as soon as David receives any attention again, Saul and his pride and his jealousy just flares right up again because nothing at the core has changed. There are some patterns that emerge. Now here's the one thing I want you to understand. David, as a young man, now you got to think how young he is. He's an older teenager when all this stuff starts in. David is a young man in an unusual situation learns to deal with these patterns that keep showing up over and over again. 
Because one day he's responsible for leading the entire nation of Israel. And God wanted a king that would treat his people, God's people Israel, like God wanted them treated. That's why he wanted a man after his own heart. He didn't say, I'm seeking for a great administrator, although David proved to be that. He grew into it. He didn't say, I'm looking for a great PR man, although he learned how to deal with people. And you're going to be amazed at some of the things. And you're going to see just some of the practical street type, knowing how to get things done wisdom that David has. He keeps connection with a lot of the leaders back in Israel when he's having to leave the country because of Saul. He keeps those connections open by sending gifts and things. David doesn't go at this like some kind of goofball. He's got some sense. He knows how to get something done. But here's the main thing to God. You know what it is already. The main thing to God was not his military capacities, was not his administrative capacities, was not that charming, that natural leadership where people would follow him. The main thing to God was he was after God's own heart. God said, I'm looking for a man that's after my own heart. He didn't say I'm looking for a big, tall man like Saul. He didn't say I'm looking for a man of this. He said, I, my first thing... I want a man who wants what I want. Who loves what I love. Who hates what I hate. Who, 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 who puts the emphasis where I put the emphasis. And if I find that man, then everything else he can learn. If the heart will be there first. And when he found that in David, then the great blessings came on David's life because of it. Absolutely amazing. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your people the good attention to Your Word. I pray that You'll drive deeply home in our hearts the truths of this teaching, please. I need it. Again, I was preparing it, Lord, and here when I've been preaching it, again, these words have been very strong to me. Lord, they need to be strong to us all. Lord, may we be open with You and get to a point of talking to You honestly about the things we may not, wouldn't talk to anybody else about and just be real with you. God, I pray that someone will just decide to get real with you before they get themselves so messed up and busted up that they can't get the pieces back together. Oh God, please, break our hard hearts. Help us to love you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Is something you want to bring to the Lord tonight? Bring yourself to the Lord tonight. Something you want to talk to the Lord about. Why don't you come on ahead, please?